So we're starting at 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22 on 1887 and then uh, we're going to read through to chapter 2 verse 10. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but in imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the new life that you have given us. We thank you for the love that you show to us. We pray now that as we consider Peter's writing here, as we consider your word, that you would not just deepen our understanding, but that you would motivate us to be more and more like you. Father, please teach us now. We need your help. Please send your spirit. Amen. Last weekend, Karen and Andrew joined Bonnie and Peter, Ali and Chris and Joe and Justin in the epic adventure of bringing new life into the world for the first time. They have also entered the new, amazing, daunting task of parenthood. Giving birth, especially to a firstborn, can be traumatic. 
fears are heightened because all of this is new. It is a new experience. And new life is so fragile. Even a four kilo baby is fragile. New life needs to be sustained and nurtured. Newness can be exciting, but also difficult. The refugee life, the refugee life is one full of newness. And with newness comes the unknowing of what is yet to be experienced. In today's passage, Peter speaks to their newness and our newness. He reminds us that our new life has come through hearing God's word. It is a new life that is to be marked out by love and growth. It is a new life that brings a new identity and a new purpose. And all of this is in the context of God's mercy, his abundant grace through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Peter reminds us that God, in his great mercy, has given us new birth, new life. His words here are, you have been born again. This has come to us as it came to his first readers, through the living and enduring word of God, which was preached to them, in verse 23. Many Christians equate the word of God with the Bible. That's not what Peter's doing here. That's not what Peter's doing here. The word of God for him here was the written Old Testament scriptures and the word preached to them. The Bible as we know it today wasn't in existence then. The New Testament hadn't been written down and circulated and so on. So when he talks about the word of God, he's talking about the fulfilment of the Old Testament by Jesus and the words that people spoke to each other about that good news, about that gospel. That Jesus is the fulfilment of the ancient writings. That Jesus was the Messiah. That Jesus did die. That Jesus did rise. That he has ascended and sits at God's right hand. That he has poured out his Holy Spirit so that we can be assured that we are ransomed from our previous life and have been given new life. So here God's word means the living word Jesus as the fulfilment of the ancient written word. And it's how the Holy Spirit uses that that causes us to be born again. We, we shouldn't put a divide between what is a, a word ministry and what is a spirit ministry. Every word ministry is always a Holy Spirit ministry and vice versa. Peter's main point here though is to tell us that this word of God is imperishable. Imperishable. The use of the words from Isaiah is to show us that that this living word is both enduring and indeed living. It's not like 
the flowers. It's not like people. It doesn't have that sort of glory that is here today and gone tomorrow. Now, God's word is permanent and has an ongoing glory and therefore has eternal significance and eternal consequences. It would have been easy for those first listeners to be overwhelmed with joy when they heard this message and it reminded them that they too had received new life because of their response to God's grace. But it would have also been extremely easy for them to drift away, especially when trials came and mounted and intensified, to forget the good news that they had heard, the good news that had given them new birth. Now, as Gentile uh, As Gentile believers, they wouldn't have been all that familiar with the Hebrew scriptures. And so they were dependent upon each other to remind each other of God's grace and of the words that they'd heard, the life-changing words that they heard. They didn't have the luxury of carrying an Old Testament scroll around in their back pockets. I don't even know if they had pockets. Peter wants us to know that this living, enduring word is to sustain us daily. Are you reminding yourself and are you reminding others continually of the message of Jesus? Not just on Sundays and not just when we gather in growth groups. But are you daily remembering the new life and the word of God that had brought you to that new life? What a privilege it is for us to have access to this written word to sustain us on a daily basis. What a great privilege it had that we have that they didn't have. A word that can sustain us and grow us on a daily basis if we choose to listen to it. Have you developed good habits in your life about recalling God's word or about devoting yourself to God's word? Or could you be like these first converts in danger of drifting away? Are we allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly during this vacancy? Rather than drifting along and waiting for some new guy to give us an impetus and a push on and to remind us of what we need to do. Our new life into which we are growing requires the daily grace supplied by God's word. Please choose to daily remind yourself and to remind others of the good news of Jesus' new life that he has given you. I love the text message 
that Andrew sent last week after the birth of Josiah. It it read like this. Mum, who is a superstar. Bub, who is very cute. Dad, who is super grateful. A happy, healthy, tired and in love. In love. Our new life, which is a daily experience, is to be marked by love. We see this in verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. This love is emerging, but needs to grow and deepen. And this can only occur as truth is obeyed and purification, cleansing is continued. Both these ideas, obedience to Christ and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, we saw right up front in verse 2 of chapter 1. It's one of Peter's recurring themes that he keeps on coming back to. God's work in us and our work with God. So this is God's work by grace, yet Peter sees us, the church, playing a role in the ongoing cleansing by the Spirit and by the Word. This deepening love is mentioned again in chapter 4, verse 8. And Peter puts it as his top priority. You can see the words there, above all, above all. This is the chief thing, this is your focus, this is my priority, this is God's priority. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. The idea here that he's trying to convey is at full stretch, at full stretch, extending yourself extending yourself beyond where you have previously been. Like the athlete who does regular stretching to strengthen the muscles so they can keep on striving for a personal best. And then more stretching and more striving for the next personal best. Jesus said, it is by our love that people will know that we are his disciples. Are we seeking to love at full stretch? That is the love that Jesus displayed, full stretch. Is striving for a personal best in loving high on your agenda it's on the top of of God's agenda here a personal best in loving and what what a great opportunity you have when we gather together to strive for a personal best in loving are you going to love each other at full stretch today, are you going to try and outdo your best so far in love. And imagine if we all do that, all seeking to extend ourselves in love where that leads us. In chapter 2, verse 1, it shows us what's involved. 
There's an ongoing ridding process going on here. Rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. All of these things undermine relationships. All of these things hinder deepening love. This is our task together. Every you here in this passage is a plural. It's us together trying to expel these things from us. It's our task together to eliminate these things from our church family. But we don't just do it by self-effort. It's not self-effort. We rid them by allowing God's love to grow in us so that we can love at full stretch because it's deepening love that will expel them. Our new life and our love for all are designed for continual growth. Just as we expect the new babies in our congregation to grow as they crave and get their mother's milk, we should expect to see continual growth in each of our lives as we feed regularly on God's word. Having tasted and savoured its sustaining, gracious goodness, it should be our daily desire. Our new life comes from hearing God's word and is sustained by God's word so that we can grow to love more like Jesus at full stretch. At full stretch. We're going to pause here and we're going to sing. So we're going to continue now. And in the second part of our reading, the newness theme continues with three ideas intertwined. Peter talks about a new temple, a new identity and a new purpose. And again here the emphasis is on what God has done and more specifically on what God is presently doing. This is all about his choosing, his building to his praise. Isn't it great that we have this place to come and worship? to grow together, to encourage each other, to care for each other, to learn to love well with each other. I want you to imagine with me, if you will, a most, most unlikely set of circumstances. An extremely localised Category 10 cyclone. Now, I know in Australia, cyclones only go up to Category 5, but I want you to imagine the storm to beat all storms. Now, imagine that this cyclone was so localised that it came down on 443 Great North Road. It whisked the church away and the buildings and Renwick Hall. Whisked them away, maybe even as far as Kansas, and totally destroyed. I'm grateful that in my imaginings there was nobody on site at the time. 
That would be devastating, wouldn't it? It would be devastating. But there are other churches nearby that would welcome us with open arms, that would comfort us and care for us and love us until we got back on our own feet, till we were re-established. This wasn't the case for the Gentile converts that Peter is writing to on the edge of the Roman Empire. Unlike their pagan friends and unlike their Jewish friends, they had no temple to go to. There was nothing locally that they could go to. And they couldn't go to Jerusalem. Well, if they did, by the time they'd received this letter, it had, the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed as well. They had no temple. But here Peter tells them, you do have a temple. Imagine their excitement. You have a temple in which you can meet the living God. And it's made up of yourselves. Believers in Jesus. And as these small group of young Christians gather together in their various homes, they form the temple of God where God dwells. They are being built into a spiritual house by God himself. The blueprints to this temple had been lodged in eternity past and God now is constructing it stone by stone. Now these are no ordinary stones. In verse 4 we see that the first stone is the living, precious cornerstone of Jesus. And then each of them and each of us is also referred to in verse 5 as a living stones. We are being built upon Jesus by God. As each new believer comes through obeying God's word and feeding upon God's word, the most glorious of all temples is being built. If you've still got your Bibles open, you might note there that our response to Jesus in this determines whether we're part of this or not. Some people stumble at hearing this good news about Jesus. Others reject it. But this is not going to interrupt the construction. Together, we are God's workmanship. We are a new temple. Peter then goes on to detail four titles for believers. Priesthood appears twice. In verse 5, we are being built into a holy priesthood. We are being built. It's a work in progress. In verse 9, however, we are a royal priesthood. So again, like last week where we saw... the work in progress and the complete and they're both seen as the same thing we have that sort of thing going on here we serve the holy one the great high priest who is also king so we are both a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood in verse 9 we see that we're also a chosen people we are a holy set-apart nation. 
So we're not just a little gathering, we're part of this nation. We are part of the fulfilment of God's promises to Abraham that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky. And we are God's special possession. I like the older phrasing, we are God's treasured possession. Treasured possession. And in all these things, we're aligned to Jesus. If you cast your eye back to verse 4, he is rejected by humans, but chosen by God, just as we, we are chosen, just as he is chosen, and he is precious. All this shows us what esteem we are held, the esteem that we're held in by God. He sees us as he sees Jesus. Precious. A lot of this language comes from Exodus chapter 19 verses 5 and 6. The term treasured possession is still used in a lot of Jewish weddings. The, the, the husband says, you are my treasured possession. So the thought that Peter is wanting us uh, to be con- conveyed to us is that God is wedded to us. God is wedded to you. You are his treasured bride. In all this, we have been reminded of who we are and to whom we belong. Again, Peter goes back to what he said before. He knows he's talking to people like himself who need to have things repeated and repeated and repeated. We are being reminded of who we are and to whom we belong. For refugees who were often regarded with contempt and told, you don't belong... These titles reveal the complete opposite to these guys scattered in Asia Minor. And likewise, God says to us, my precious Abbotsford Presbyterian Church, I I am wedded to you. I am wedded to you. And you know what that means. It means that, that we are a part at the heart of his plan to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. We are part of this glorious purpose that God is unveiling. I wonder how that might affect how you look at trials. We are being built up, not torn down and blown away. We are being constantly loved and nurtured. We are loved no less when we're in the middle of hardship. We have this new identity. Our new identity speaks to our new purpose. We are a priesthood together. There is no elite status priests and no... um, ordinary priests we are the royal priesthood the holy royal priesthood together in verse 5 Peter says that our role is to offer sacrifices which are spiritual 
and acceptable to God through the work of Jesus. And in verse 9, he elaborates a little further, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Our task is to declare his praise. It is proclaiming daily what God has done for us. Proclaiming not just in the singing of these great songs that we sing on Sunday. They are encouraging and they are fantastic, but there's more. And it's not just speaking out and telling your friend about how you've experienced God's grace this week. But it's also about proclaiming the character of God by being holy as he is holy. Again, what we heard about last week. Both the words and the actions of the Old Testament priesthood were to to direct people's attention Godward. Not to themselves, but to God. Not to the tabernacle, to God. Not to the temple, to God. But that was before Jesus, wasn't it? Before living hope, before our inheritance was sealed to us, before our new life. So how much more have we got to point people to? That is our task. And again, we need to remind ourselves that we can't wait for the new guy to do it for us. Because we are the priesthood. It is our task to be done in God's strength. So please, declare his praise to someone this week. Declare his praise by telling someone how much you are loved. Declare his praise by seeking to reflect God's character. By being loving, by being forgiving, by being patient. Be holy as he is holy. And declare his praise to someone this week by loving them at full stretch. At full stretch. This whole passage today highlights God. God's work in the now. His word, his spirit gives us new life. He builds his temple to his glory. He chooses his people and his plans will not be thwarted. Through his word and his son and his spirit, his glory is declared. So especially when the church was small and weak, as it was in Asian Minor, with so many powerful forces around them, this message that God is building his church and he has a glorious purpose for you, his people, would have been amazing for them to hear. And something they would want to share. And here in the 21st century, at God's precious Abbotsford Presbyterian Church, isn't that a great thing to remind ourselves that God is building us to his glory into something beautiful beyond our imagining. It's vital for us to know that. It's vital for us to remind ourselves of that and it's vital for us to share that. 
Let's pray. We thank you, gracious Father, for our glorious hope, our glorious inheritance, and our glorious purpose. Please, Father, help us this week to take small steps in declaring your praise by loving well, by seeking to live well, and by speaking into the lives of others well. We long to be this glorious people that you've called us to be. So please continue your work in us to your glory and to your praise. Amen.